Uh, you know, this, this, this week that we're about to celebrate, I think for a lot of us, and the older you get, I think it, you, you look back and there's so many just single days that you can pinpoint that really changed your life forever, right? You think about t- like when I got married, that, that changed my life forever. The, when my kids were born, right, the day they're born, that changes your life. I, think, I had one day that I, that I, I recall, I think it's just kind of every man's dream, where I got to hold my mother-in-law underwater. I baptized her. What are you guys thinking? Like, I don't, it was just baptism, all right? Okay, so that, uh, but there, there's so many days we look back on and, and they change the trajectory of our life and, and Jesus has this, 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 this whole week, right? The week that changed the world and so that's what we're, we're gonna be looking at and really this week is, is kind of the culmination of everything that we read about in the Gospels, right? Throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this week brings all of those events together and, and so today, the, the Sunday before Easter, it's the beginning of, of what most uh, Christians refer to as Holy Week, Okay, and Holy Week, it, it, it really, it, it serves to close out Jesus' earthly ministry, okay, and, and then it leads to Jesus' crowning achievement at, at, at the end of that. And so uh, we're going to look at, at three kind of major events that happen throughout the week, and, and I'm excited for this series because we get three sermons in a one-week period. Like, this is just going to be a really condensed, just, just super good uh, a series, and of course it starts today with Palm Sunday, which is really just uh, the celebration of Jesus' triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. And then on Friday, of course, we'll, we'll celebrate uh, Good Friday, which is Jesus' final journey to the cross, to uh, the road to Golgotha. And then, of course, it ends with uh, the winning Sunday of Easter Sunday and Jesus' walk to Emmaus. And so there's a lot of things going on this week. Uh, and, and, and today, because it is Palm Sunday, that's, that's where we're going to be focusing on. And so uh, let's, let's give this up to God before we get into this. Father God, I just pray that... Uh, as we celebrate this week, God, I, I pray that there would be uh, just something unique, something special in each of our lives as, as we celebrate uh, what it's all about, God. We celebrate what your son came to do for us, God, and so we thank you for your son. God, we thank you that you loved us enough to do that for us, to send your son, God, to, to, to take this journey, God, and to go through the suffering and the pain that he went through for us. God, so let your spirit move in us. God, let us grow closer to you. Let us know you better. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so the big idea, the, the big question for, uh, for today especially is this. How do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? And, and, and what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at three different groups of people who were present on Palm Sunday. Three different groups of people who were there. Because really Palm Sunday, uh, it, 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 it would have been kind of the, the high point for Jesus' popularity. Right? There would have been huge crowds coming to see and hear, like they've heard about this teacher, about what he's, what he's been doing, these miracles that he's performed. And so there would have been a ton of people there. And we're going to look at all of the people who interacted with Jesus that day. And what we're going to see is that all of them had a little bit different idea about who Jesus was and about what Jesus was supposed to be doing. They had their own expectations that they had set upon Jesus and, and what he should do. And so we're going to look at, at basically three different uh, camps of people who were present when Jesus entered Jerusalem. And, and the first group that we're going to look at, we're going we're to call these guys the antagonistic adversaries, all right? So these are the ones who, who, who they saw Jesus as a threat, okay? And no matter what evidence was presented to them, they were not going to buy into this whole 
Jesus thing. And, and, and I think uh, probably nobody here today falls into this camp. So, so that's the, the idea is that all of us probably fall into one of these three camps we're going to look at, okay? I think probably nobody here falls into this camp, but maybe, maybe, maybe they do. But most of us probably have someone in our family or someone in our life who does, right? A family member, a coworker, somebody who just, no matter what they hear, no matter what they, what they see, no matter what, they, what, what information they're given about Jesus, like they're just not going to buy into it. They're just, they're just not going to be part of that. So, uh, and and th- there were definitely those people who were present on Palm Sunday. If we look at John chapter 12, starting in verse 9, it says, When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. Okay, so I, what's going on here, right before this happened was when, when Jesus, right before he makes his grand entrance into Jerusalem, he had spent some time in Bethany. Okay, and he wasn't just there just to pass through on his way to Jerusalem. If you remember the story, his, his, one of his best friends, Lazarus, had passed away. Right, and so his sisters went and fetched Jesus, and they, and they bring him to town. And Lazarus had been in the tomb. He'd been dead for four days. And so Jesus shows up, and he performs one of his greatest miracles. Right, he brings Lazarus back to life. And, and, and so on his way into Jerusalem, he, he, he stops, and he spends his time in Bethany, which was fulfilling one of the prophecies from the Old Testament. So Jesus, he, he knew uh, what was going on. He knew what he, he was doing. And so a lot of these people in the crowd would have heard about that miracle, Okay, so they were there to see Jesus, but they also wanted to see this man, Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. Right? They, they wanted to see if this was true, if, if, if this really was what happened, and so they're there to see that as well. And you know who else had heard about this miracle? It was the religious leaders. And it's pretty interesting what it says here is that they decided to kill Lazarus too, which implies that they were already planning on killing Jesus. So rather than accept this evidence, this miracle, Rather than to, to, to believe that, to, to, to know exactly who Jesus was, who he truly was, rather than accept that evidence, they were just going to push it away. They were just going to brush it under the rug. They were going to kill Lazarus and Jesus instead of just accepting who Jesus was. But now they have this miracle that's, that's staring them straight in the face. But it threatened their power. It threatened their rule. So no matter what they saw, no matter what they heard, no matter what information they were given, they were not going to accept Jesus. Okay, so that's the, that's the first camp. The second camp we're going to call the dedicated disciples. And this is, this is our, our hope as pastors, this is, this is where most of us fall. And, and these are the people who see Jesus as Lord. And they may not have uh, the, the full picture, right? They may not understand exactly what's going on, but they still believe in Jesus. They still trust in Jesus. And so often in our lives, there's times where we just don't understand. Right? We don't understand what God is doing or why he's doing the things that he's doing. We have no way to predict the outcome, and so we just have to trust in the giver of life. Right? We just have to trust in Jesus in those circumstances. These people were present uh, that, that first day too, Luke chapter 19 beginning in verse 29. It says, As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, and as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. Okay, so Jesus has been to Jerusalem multiple times up until this point. But every other time he's come, it's, he's, he's, he's just entered on feet. Right, and like a, like a normal person, he's just he's just walked in, and now he's changing it up. He's doing something different. 
And so he tells his disciples to go, to go get that colt. Right? And for, for us, I think for most people, you'd be like, you want me to, you want me to do what? You want me to go steal it? What, what, is, what is going on here, right? Like most of us would probably kind of, but the disciples, they're okay with it. Right? They trust in Jesus. They've, they've, they've been with him for a while now. They've seen him do ministry. They've, they've witnessed his character. They know what Jesus is all about. And so they say, okay. Right? And think about the guy who, who owns the coal, right? Because he does. He comes out and he's like, what are you doing? And they're like, the Lord needs it. And he's like, oh, okay. Right? Like, it's weird. that like, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what was going on. The disciples, they also would have been familiar with, with prophecies from the Old Testament. Right? And some of, those, some of those prophecies talked about this, this very day. They talked about this exact moment, actually. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And the reality is that for most of us, we're kind of like, yeah, I, I want to be obedient to Jesus. Yeah, I want to live a life that honors God. But we don't have Jesus right there directing traffic like he was for these guys, right? He's not telling us, like, yeah, go to that town. Go, go get that colt. He's not telling us exactly what to do. He's not telling us what college we should go to. He's not telling us exactly who we should marry. He's not telling us if we should pack up and move our family Right? He's not there directing traffic, but, but that also doesn't mean that we're just left in the dark, blindly trying to find our way. Right? That, that, that's not what it's about. As, as believers, we actually we have, we have three major sources of, of counsel in this area, three things that, that we can do or that we can go to when, when we're struggling, right? when we're not sure what God is doing in our life. And that the first one is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, God sends his spirit to live in us. Now, I've, I've never heard God audibly speak to me, okay? I, I've, I've never experienced that. But I have through uh, just countless times in my life, I've, I've felt moved or, or convicted to do something, right? There's been times in my life where I, I've felt peace with, with hard decisions I've had to make. My prideful heart has been moved to, to repentance when I've done or said things that I, that I know I shouldn't have, right? That's the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And so the Holy Spirit will move us. It will convict us in what God is doing in our life. That's the first thing. The second thing is God's word, right? God's word. Every single one of us has access to God's word, like right at our fingertips, right? At any given time, we have access to God's word. Some people, I hear there's rumors out there that some people actually have like something called paperback. I think the old, old people call them. Right, like there, there's ways out there to access God's word. And listen, I understand that God's word isn't going to speak like perfectly into every situation that we face in, in, in modern day. Like it doesn't say specifically if you should marry the blonde or the brunette, right? It says very clearly to avoid the redheads, but it doesn't say, it doesn't say, that, <laughs> it does tell us to avoid being unequally yoked. Right? It does speak in relationship. It doesn't, it doesn't tell us whether or not we should make that specific purchase, but it does tell us that we should give to God and that we should give to those in need right? before we make that specific purchase. Like It talks about current circumstances, even though it doesn't give us a specific example of the things that we deal with today. So God's word, even thousands of years old, it still speaks wisdom and truth into our lives today. And then last but, but not least, fellow believers, 
right? Every single one of us should have somebody in our life that we can go to and talk about our struggles and the things that we're facing who will speak truth and love to us, right? Who will tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. We should have somebody that we can go and and bounce thoughts and ideas off of, right? Somebody who will be honest and be like, that's crazy. You should stop doing that right now, right? They will will speak love and truth into our, our, our lives. If you don't have somebody like that in your life, get someone, Hop on our webpage, request a mentor, like have somebody in your life that you can do that. I'm sure Pastor Mark and Therese would, for a nominal fee, they would love to, to mentor you guys right now. They, they're, they're great. Like talk to them. They would love to be part of that journey with you, but you need to have somebody in your life who you can share those things with, right? And so between all three of these things, between the Holy Spirit, God's Word, and our fellow believers, like we should be able to navigate through those trials in life, through those struggles in life. We should be able to honor God, to make God honoring decisions in in the things that we're doing using these three tools that that we have access to every day. All right, so let's let's move to the third camp of people, all right? These are are the people we're going to call the fickle followers. And these are the people who kind of have their their own idea of who Jesus is. They have their own expectations of who Jesus is. And when Jesus doesn't meet those expectations, they, they turn. Right, they, they, they turn on uh, Jesus. And so those people were present there as well. Matthew 21, starting in verse 8, it says, Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. So as Jesus, as he, as he goes through the gates of Jerusalem, there's, there's huge crowds everywhere, right? And, and the people start placing their garments on the ground for him to cross over. They go and they cut branches off the tree and lay them down, which were palm branches, right? Okay, and that's where we actually get Palm Sunday from. They're laying these palm branches down for Jesus to cross over, and they're shouting praises at him, right? They, they're, they're shouting, praise God for the son of David, right? Which is a callback to, to the Davidic prophecy when, when God promised David that he would use his dynasty to, to have kings over Israel forever, Right? And so, the, so they know they are praising and accepting Jesus as the Messiah, as the one who was prophesied about. They are accepting him as their new Messiah. But these people of Israel, they had, a, they had they'd long lived with this idea that the Messiah would be coming as a conquering king. Okay? Kind of as a war hero, a, a political hero that would overthrow the, the Roman rulers and reinstate Israel to its former glory. And so five days later after this, five days later when Jesus is arrested, that no longer lines up with their idea of who they expect Jesus to be. And, and, and so look what happens. This is Pilate talking, and he says, what should I do with Jesus who is called Messiah? And the crowd shouted back, crucify him. These are the same people who just five days ago were singing his praises as the coming Messiah. These are the same people that were shouting praises and and laying out their garments and and palm branches for Jesus to cross. These same people, and now they want to crucify him because he no longer matches their their concept, their idea of what their returning Messiah should be. And Pilate, he's already already told them that Jesus is innocent. He's already told them, "I, I find no fault in him. And he's given them every, every opportunity to release Jesus, right? Once a year on Passover, just as a, as a show of goodwill, they release one prisoner. And he's like, I'll give you Jesus. I will release him to you. And they're like, no, give us Barabbas. We want the murderer. We don't want Jesus. Only five days later, 
how quickly and, and, and easily these, these believers were swayed. So how do you see Jesus? Because these three camps will, will always exist. There's always going to be people in all three of these camps. So are you in that first camp with, with the adversaries? Again, I don't think we'll find a lot of people who are in church today that are in this camp, but that camp was also the religious leaders of the time. So are you an adversary to Jesus? Are you, are you, are you holding on to uh, just this idea that you were just not going to accept him no matter what evidence you were giving, no matter what evidence you were given? Are you in the second camp with the, with the disciples, right, with the dedicated disciples? Are, are, are you, you don't fully understand the plan, you don't, you don't completely know what God is doing in your life, but you're willing to trust in him because he's given you reason to trust in him. Or you're in that third camp with the fickle followers, right? You, you claim to be a follower, but you're, you're holding on to this, this uncharacteristic or unbiblical idea about God. And as soon as he doesn't live up to that, as soon as he doesn't, as soon as he doesn't match your expectations, you'll just simply move on. And this, this third camp is so common in Christianity because of, because of the prosperity gospel. Right? There's so many people out there who are believing that God will make them healthy or, or wealthy or somehow he'll give them this trouble-free life. Listen, that's not the gospel of Christ. God nowhere in his word promises those things to us. We also find a lot of these people in today's world saying things like, you know, if God is really a loving God, if God is really good, then X, Y, Z. Right? If God is really a loving God, then he would never be mad at me for doing this. If God is, is really good, then he, then he would accept me the way I am. See, we start to design our own God. We start to have these ideas about him that, that are not found anywhere. And, and then the problem is those people that once they realize that God is perfect and he doesn't, he doesn't match the world's standards, right? He, he, he doesn't change based off of what we expected and, and they, they figure that out and then they get angry at God and they flee. Right? They turn their backs on God and they run. You know, the way that we can actually know that God is good, the way that we can actually know that God is is a loving God is because of what he did for us. He sent his, his son from heaven. Jesus left his throne in heaven to come down here to live this poor, humble life. He lives a perfect, sinless life, something none of us could ever do, right? Jesus knew. He knew that we wouldn't be able to do that on our own. So he lives this perfect, sinless life, and then he allows himself to be captured, right? He gets arrested. He gets put on this sham of a trial, and they beat him, they whip him, they mock him, and ultimately they hang him on a cross to die for our sins. Right? Jesus became sin for us. He knew no sin. He had committed no sin, and he goes to the cross and he pays the penalty that we deserve. That's how we can know that God is a good God. That's how we can know that God loves us because of what he did for us. See, our relationship with Jesus has to be founded on who he is and what he's done. Okay, not, not what we do, not who we are, but who Jesus is and, and, and what he has done. It's not about our own personal beliefs and, 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 and expectations about God. See, the, the religious leaders, they had experienced Jesus' teaching. They had witnessed the countless miracles that Jesus had, had performed, including Lazarus' resurrection, right before this happened, right before Palm Sunday, but their, their hearts were hardened. Right, their hearts were hardened and they had already made their minds up. They were not going to accept this blatant evidence that is staring them right in the face. 
And I love what, what Jesus says to them in Luke chapter 19. The, the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Right? They're saying, Jesus, look, you know you're not the Messiah. That's blasphemy. You know you're not the Messiah, so tell your followers to stop saying that you are. Jesus' response, I love it. He says he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Right? Jesus says it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what anyone says or does. It doesn't change anything. Even if the people don't praise me, all of creation will. Even the stones. Jesus says it doesn't matter if I tell them to be quiet. That doesn't change who I am. So I want to close with this. Like there, there will be a day, there's a day that's coming, that no matter which camp you fall into, everyone will know who Jesus truly is. Every single person who has ever lived, whoever will live, will know who Jesus truly is. And John, in, in the book of Revelation, he, he gives us a, a glimpse into heaven. Okay, and it looks an awful lot like Palm Sunday. It says this, Revelation chapter 7, uh, verses 9 through 10. It says, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. See, on Palm Sunday, on that first Palm Sunday, Jesus was, was not only the coming king, but he was the Lamb of God. He was the perfect, spotless, blameless Lamb of God, and he was walking to his own death on the cross. So we have to remember that Jesus is God. Jesus knew the plan, and, and, and he could have stopped it at any time. But because he loves us so much, he went through with it. Right? He even asked God at one point, he said, if there's any other way, but your will be done, not mine. Jesus submitted to what needed to be done because he loves us enough. The cross wasn't defeat, right? The cross was Jesus' ultimate victory. And so through the cross, he, he gives victory to his people. He gives them the freedom that they want, not from political oppression, but from death and sin. He gives every single one of us freedom from death and sin. The book of Revelation, it also tells us that Jesus will come as a warrior king, right? What, what, what the Jews were expecting, what, what Israel was expecting, Jesus will eventually come to, to do that, to defeat and to ultimately rule the earth. And I don't have a slide for this, so I'm just going to read this to you guys. So I just want you guys to envision this as I read this. This is Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. It says, then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages war, and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice fl flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. 
Jesus will come as the conquering hero. And that's what it's going to look like. Like, That is an amazing picture. That is an amazing way to view Jesus coming back. But until that day comes, until that day happens, he rules in the lives of all of those who believe in him and who follow him as their Lord. And so my question is, how do you see Jesus? Let's pray together.